Section 4 of Oscar Wilde from Purgatory by Hester Travers Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 The Automatic Writing In his recently published volume, Thirty Years of Psychical Research, Professor Richet, that eminent physiologist, speaks of certain hitherto discredited branches of abnormal psychology as having come within the realm of science. He even opens the door to ectoplasms and pre-vision. The fact that he devotes 626 pages to the demonstration of the scientific value of such subjects means that we, who are interested in what used to be called ghosts and hauntings, need no longer be alarmed at accepting phenomena of that nature as being of supreme interest. We may reasonably cry aloud on the housetops that we have been wiser than some of our scientific brethren in devoting time and attention to the sifting of evidence in this direction. For, although Professor Richet cautiously limits his declared beliefs to the acceptance of cryptosthesia, a supernormal power of discovering what is unknown, as an explanation of monitions, premonitions, and prevision, he confirms his belief in the genuineness of materializations and so-called ectoplasmic forms as scientific facts, admitting that, so far, he is unable to explain them. I feel that the acceptance of the phenomena of prevision by an eminent scientific man is of supreme importance to psychical research. The impossible seems to have become possible if we are permitted to feel that we may, without ridicule, give grave attention to what comes to us in dreams, or from the clairvoyant, in its bearing on future events. We shall still have constant backslidings and disappointments, but we are confirmed in believing that every case which comes in our way is worthy of attention. For many years we've talked about telepathy until that theory has become so extended that it threatens to snap asunder, if it has not done so already. We are still deeply occupied with the study of the subconscious. It is flattering to feel that each of us possesses a deep well of stored-up memories into which we may dive if conditions permit us, and from this diving we may draw up creatures rare and strange. Their long sojourn in the waters of Lethe bring them back to us as new ideas. Now, Professor Richet tells us that each of us possesses cryptosthetic power. We may not discover the fact during our Earth existence, but if we analyse our experiences sufficiently carefully, we shall recognise that occasionally we have had a glimpse of the unknown, that we have been cognizant of facts which must be outside our subconscious. So here we pause and look back and find that two of the planks on which we stood are floating out to sea. If we are to take Professor Richet seriously, we shall begin to put less faith in that speechless converse of mind with mind, which served us so long. We shall begin to wonder whether the vast well of our memories really contains this swarming mass of images. The submerged self is a comparatively new suggestion. 
it has absorbed us since freud boldly laid his map of our dreams before us we wonder what the next step will be professor richet has heaped us with responsibilities where it was a case of agent and percipient our percipient has vanished we alone are responsible for what we used to call telepathic impressions we create our own phantoms we even materialize them in some cases our automatic messages are all part of ourselves they are largely fished from the great well which we call the subconscious but when we recognize impressions which must be outside our memories because as yet they have not become memories we have created them through that new sense which in future we shall recognize as cryptesthesia professor richet expresses absolute pain in having to make some of these admissions he has not suffered the supreme pain however of accepting the spiritist theory which of course is the simplest explanation of the shadows that beset us from time to time he seems more ready to believe that angels and demons are in touch with us than to give consideration to the possibility that those who loved the world and what it contains may survive in some form and seize any opportunity no matter how dim to impress their continued existence on us for my own part i am an agnostic in these matters i dare not say i believe in the experimental proof of survival though it seems to me on the whole a less romantic idea than belief in annihilation at any rate in our psychic studies we should always bear in mind the possibility that our communications are coming direct from the minds of human beings who once were imprisoned in the body after all telepathy the subconscious and cryptesthesia are only words which serve to express ideas covering phenomena which are so mysterious that the scientific truth about them today may be the childish folly of tomorrow one of professor richet's arguments against spirit communication is that in most cases when we get messages purporting to come from the dead they are of a poor and trivial nature and rather tend to show that death deprives us of our finer mental parts i entirely agree with this criticism of much that i have come across at times we sicken when it dawns on us that death seems to diminish mental vision if our messages are to be accepted i think this difficulty may be largely due to the imperfect means of communication at our disposal if the medium could be dispensed with and a suitable telephone invented between this world and the other no doubt results would be less uneven and clearer i am quite certain that the mental and physical condition of the medium makes or mars the messages to a great extent if conditions are satisfactory the communicator takes entire command the medium remains absolutely passive and can be used satisfactory conditions chiefly consist in freedom from distraction of any kind whatever physical upset makes communication almost impossible any mental worry is still more mischievous 
noise, windy weather, etc., all injure the quality of what comes through. The reason is very evident to anyone who has had experience of hypnotism. If we are to be used as instruments, we must remain passive. In order to acquire complete passivity, anything that jars on the mind, or distracts it in any way, or keeps the consciousness awake, must be eliminated. Trance, or somnambulism, is the most favourable state for good results, but here, when entire control of the personality is possible, that entity, which we call the guide, seems to interfere. I believe that many of the trivial results attributed to discarnate personalities are in reality the work of the guide or control of the medium. This happens less frequently with automatic writing or Ouija work, because hypnosis of the medium is slight, and an alteration in the communicator would be observed immediately by an experienced sitter. The Oscar Wilde script, which I offer to the public, both because of its literary and psychic interest, seems to me to suggest definitely the possibility that we may be in touch with an external influence, if I were fully convinced of that fact, I should certainly be as fully convinced that Oscar Wilde had spoken to the world again. I should not attribute any messages so characteristic of the whole man to an impersonation on the other side. I think in this case it is a choice of two hypotheses. Either Oscar Wilde is speaking, or the whole script, Ouija board and automatic writing, must be derived from the subconscious or clairvoyance of two mediums. In either case, the matter of the messages and the manner in which they came are of such unusual interest that I feel the entire case should be stated as fully as possible. I believe it to be quite outside those which can be accused of being trivial or dull. Perhaps it is best first to explain how these scripts came to us. A gentleman, whom I shall call Mr. V, had several sittings for Ouija board work with me at the British College of Psychic Science. He seemed quite conversant with his subject, but gave me to understand that he had no powers as a medium himself. He is a mathematician, and is interested in music, but so far as I know, he has no special interest in literature. I soon perceived that he was one of those persons who, in some mysterious way, are helpful at a sitting. He was very reticent, but I had a sense that he made communication easy and harmonious. There was a clearness of psychic atmosphere when I sat with him, which is not usual with strangers who come to me for the first time. In May of the present year, Mr. V joined a small class of mine for the development of automatic writing. I had a firm conviction that he had mediumistic power. But, to my disappointment, he made no progress at the first two sittings, either with writing or the Ouija board. He seemed, in fact, to have less power than the other members of my class. At the third meeting, Mr. V wrote for the first time. I rested my hand on his while he held the pencil, and a sentence or two were written slowly, 
purporting to come from a deceased friend of his own. This was rather more encouraging, but it did not indicate that Mr. V possessed any special facility for automatism. At the fourth meeting, which took place at my own house, Mr. V was the only one of my class able to be present. He wished to continue the automatic writing, so we pursued the same method as on the former occasion. Mr. V held the pencil. I sat beside him and rested my fingers lightly on the back of his hand. Before we had started, he asked me whether it would make any difference if he closed his eyes. I was pleased at his suggestion. On two former occasions, that desire to work with closed eyes had been the prelude to interesting results. At first, his pencil tapped repeatedly on the paper. Then it began to move more rapidly than at our last meeting. He wrote the name of his deceased friend again. The message concerned his daughter, Lily. I want my daughter, Lily. My little Lily, it began. As the word Lily was written, I was sensible of an interruption. I felt instinctively that the communicator had changed. I asked who was speaking. Immediately, Oscar Wilde was written, and the message continued more and more rapidly. I looked at Mr. V. He seemed only half conscious. His eyes were closed. His pencil was so firmly controlled that I found it very difficult to move it from the end of one line to the beginning of the next. I lifted my hand from his. The pencil stopped instantly. It merely tapped impatiently on the paper. These first scripts, written by Mr. V and myself, were short in comparison with some of the later ones. It seemed that he wrote in a state of semi-coma, and this condition was of short duration. He stopped and spoke two or three times while writing the first communication. As soon as his pencil began to move, he closed his eyes and looked unconscious. I was surprised at the clearness and accuracy of the writing. The words were divided, the T's crossed, the I's dotted. Even quotation marks were added and punctuation attended to. The signature struck me as unusual, and on reading the script over, and on reading the script over, I noticed that at times a Greek A was used. Also that there were strange breaks between the letters of the words, such as D-F, Vin-Tige etc. Neither Mr. V nor I had ever seen Wilde's writing so far as we could remember. When he was gone, it struck me that it would be interesting to compare the script with a facsimile if I could find one. I was singularly fortunate, for at the Chelsea Book Club, not only did I see a facsimile of Wilde's writing, but an autograph letter of his happened to be there for sale. I was amazed. The handwritings seemed similar. Allowing for the fact that our script was written with a heavy pencil, and the autograph letter, probably, with a steel pen. There was a Greek A, used occasionally, not invariably, and there were the long breaks between the letters of certain words. In this first communication, there are many points of interest. Some of them seem to indicate subconscious plagiarism. I shall deal in a later chapter with passages which, though not actually quotations, 
bear a strong resemblance to ideas and sentences in various published works of Oscar Wilde's, Intentions, De Profundis, etc. Against the subconscious theory is the fact that certain questions I asked were answered in a manner indicating that the communicator did not reply from material which was in Mr. V's mind or mine. I asked for the address in Dublin where Sir William Wilde, his father, lived, and with which Oscar must have been familiar. I could have written it without a moment's hesitation, as I know the house well. Probably it was not in Mr. V's mind, as he does not know Dublin. The reply was, Near Dublin, my father was a surgeon. These names are difficult to recall. I was disappointed. This savoured of the usual dodging of evidence we meet with so often in automatism. Number one, Merrion Square, where Oscar Wilde lived, is in the centre of the city. I continued, Not at all difficult if you are really Oscar Wilde. The pencil moved again and wrote, I used to live near here, Tite Street. I took my hand off Mr. V's for a moment and said, There is a Tite Street near here, and he has spelt it correctly. I don't know where he lived in London, do you? Mr. V replied, I have never been in Chelsea until today, and, to the best of my knowledge, I never heard of Tite Street. Oscar continued the writing. My next question was, What was your brother's name? William. Then a stroke underneath, and below it, Willie, was written. I then asked for Lady Wilde's nom de plume, and Speranza was written without hesitation. So far as he can tell, Mr. V did not know Oscar Wilde's address in London, and neither did I, and yet it was written without my having asked for it. I knew the Dublin address, and no attempt was made to give it. I knew Lady Wilde's nom de plume, Mr. V, did not, yet he wrote it immediately it was asked for. Taking these facts into consideration, it cannot be said that the information was in the mind of the mediums, it might probably be accounted for by cryptosthesia if we exclude the possibility that Oscar Wilde may have been speaking. At our next meeting, several persons were present. Mr. Dingwall, research officer of the Society for Psychical Research, Mr. B, who is an excellent medium, and Miss Cummins, who has wide experience of psychic work. Mr. Dingwall probably gave the impetus to our message that day. The entire departure from the redundant style of our first script into the wild epigram interested and amused us all. It seemed such an unexpected development from that other side from which so often we get either trivialities or empty pomposities. My suggestion that we might ask some questions was swept aside haughtily by our communicator. Wilde has twice refused to give definite proofs, but on several occasions he has volunteered information which was not in the mind of either medium, so far as they know, and which proves to be correct. While the little tale about James McNeil Whistler was told by Mr. B, 
mr v and i sat as before he holding the pencil while my hand rested on his when the story was finished the pencil moved and wrote with james vulgarity always begins at home i have observed during all these sittings that this communicator is very sensitive to the influence of those present or to the condition of the mind of either medium this is of course quite natural whether we consider that oscar wilde is speaking or that the subconscious of the sitters is responsible at the first sitting allowing the communicator was oscar wilde the control seemed passionately anxious to convince us of his identity he proceeded to do so by pouring out an essay which would at once arrest attention by reason of its similarity to well-known passages in his prose works it does not seem to me that the fact that he almost quoted from his own writings proves it to be a case of subconscious plagiarism because in later scripts this is not the case certainly in this short essay on the society of psychical research he does not quote and yet if it was read aloud the name of the author being kept back i think it would immediately suggest wilde to anyone conversant with his work i need hardly draw attention to what is obvious that in judging automatic script allowance must be made for the intervention of the medium if the brain of the medium or mediums is used their personality must lend a certain flavour to the communication less of this is traceable in these writings than in the average automatic message again if we return to the suggestion of subconscious plagiarism it is well to make it clear that neither mr v nor i had ever had any special interest in oscar wilde mr v states that he had only read the picture of dorian gray de profundis and the ballad of reading jail and all these before the war i had read more than mr v and had been interested in wilde's plays but except salome i had not read a page of oscar wilde's work for twenty years past this of course does not reduce the value of the subconscious explanation but it is as well to state exactly how things stood before the first message came and to make it plain that no recent suggestion had recalled oscar wilde to our memories End of section 4